All right, now this week on the podcast, we have a very special guest, Adam Big Toe Melito. Um, Adam is our friend from Commerce here at Queen's University. Always had a passion for entrepreneurship, big time hustler, and we're going to give it right over to Adam right now to explain his story some more. All right, we're back with episode two of the New Wave podcast. Um, my name's Harry Range here with Mike Bumel, Anglis Pradis, and our guest of the week, Adam Molito. Big special guest in the building. Let's go. How are we doing? Adam? How are we doing? Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. I'm uh, super excited to be here. Thanks for coming in. Yeah. All right. So um, I guess what we want to do here is kind of hear a little bit about you, kind of tell us about yourself and kind of how you're, what you think of the new wave, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Um, I am, my name is Adam Molito. I'm a fourth year commerce student. Uh, from Ottawa, uh, more specifically, Canada. Shout out! Um, <laughs> and essentially, how I got to be on this co- uh, podcast. So I think just from a young age, um, I've always had a very strong capability to hustle. And so I think what that meant to me was from a young age of around 12, 13 years old, I was poking my head in on Kijiji, looking where I, to see where I can make uh, a little bit of profit for buying low, essentially, and selling high. Um, I was able to do that successfully through a lot of different means, through just every regular day household items, through uh, garage sales, um, and just kind of doing little things like that that ended up going a long way in what was then a very small bank account. I then came to Queens, I linked up with my good friend Brody Whitla, uh, who we were able to kind of make an investment fund called MW Investments, which essentially did the exact same thing. We really keyed in on uh, Yeezys. Um, supreme clothing products, um, any kind of just supply and demand inefficiencies, we saw that we could buy, sell, or buy low and then sell high uh, was what we were interested in. So how were you, like, how are you reaching out to the people that you were selling? Um, so basically what I would do is uh, a common thing, I would just look for things that I thought were going to sell out. And so it was just a lot of um, kind of ideas from the start. So essentially, like, the first thing I ever did was like the Nintendo Wii. Mm-hmm. Do you remember when the Wii dropped? Um, it was retailing for about $300 and the resale on it was about $700. Wow. Yeah, there was high demand. I remember it was, you couldn't get it right away for Christmas. It sold out. That like, was the thing. And so, yeah. I, yeah, that's actually what yeah. happened. It was like back Wii in the day, was... PlayStations would always sell out and they go for resale way higher. Yeah, like, but Nintendo Wii was, was wild. I remember that. Actually. Yeah. So um, what ended up happening is that my dad couldn't get the Wii for Christmas. And that's what I really wanted. I was like, hmm. And so I tried to go get it myself, right? And then I realized that there was a huge gap in between the retail price and the resale value. And so that's actually what started happening. And then you could see me for the years to come in lines for the latest iPhone drop, which I did for at least since iPhone 5. I was out there at Bayshore. And then How many even, would you even, buy? Just one? No, I would actually... So I paid a couple of my buddies to actually stand in line with me oh, overnight. Man. Yeah, overnight. So I gave them... They were doing that for about $50 a pop. Damn. Each of us had a limit of two that we could buy. So I had all the money ready. And then oh, I would wow. do... I would do staggers of... I think the first time I did it was two. And then the biggest time I ever did it was four, which was in Toronto. And that was on the seven drop. which And all of them had been profitable. And the best thing about it is that you just get a receipt for two weeks after. If you're unable to resell, you just return, return the product. It. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's, that's so, so there's smart. really no risk in that. And Zero then, risk, high reward. High reward, exactly. Um, and you kind of make a night out of it too, right? You're standing out. out of <laughs> yeah, I mean, 2 a.m. You're at an Apple store. Sort of banter. <laughs> yeah, no. There's a lot of people there too. You never know what you're going to catch. So. No, yeah. So how are you how are you selling them to people? Were you just like word of mouth? Were you online? Like what were you doing? Mainly Kijiji. Okay. And now that I actually Facebook Marketplace actually has like 30 to 40% more volume of in terms of just users and, and looks and clicks 
than Kijiji ever had, actually. Yeah. Oh, wow. Just a, a stat that I recently had read. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's cool. Would you say you, uh, like, throughout flipping stuff, you mostly stuck with stuff you knew about, like products and stuff you knew about, or did you ever venture out? I think, like, when I was doing it small scale in, like, high school, I was only doing stuff that I knew 100% were profitable, very low risk. Um, and then when I had met Brody, he was kind of doing a similar thing in different markets. So that's why the, the investment fund kind of came together because we both were looking at arbitrage opportunities in different markets and we were able to come together with a little bit of capital and make it kind of a bigger scale thing. You were flipping like hypey stuff, right? A lot of hypey stuff too. Um, How would you get that? Because I know like Supreme, like people will have bots to yeah. buy out their stuff, like buy out the stock within one second and then resell. But kids make so much money. Dude, just look at a golf stuff. I'm trying to get some Supreme. Like, I <laughs> well, yeah, no, well, we ha- we did have bots. We were one of those people, and it was definitely yeah. like not the most ethical thing to be doing. But I mean, it also got very saturated, and which is why we unfortunately aren't able to continue to run the fund. Um, which was because essentially everybody was using bots and then mm-hmm. the, the supply was just completely whack and Kanye West ended up increasing the supply and now a lot of people, you can get Yeezys if you want them for a good price. Right. Okay. Um, let's talk about clean a little bit. Yeah, let's do it. So tell people what is clean detailing. So clean detailing is a mobile car cleaning company. Essentially, the easiest way to put it is we come to the client's house with uh, industri- our very professional industrial equipment, and we make your car absolutely spotless, bar none. Quality is the most important to our company, and um, we ensure that there's not one remaining spot left uncleaned in people's cars. Okay. So how did you get involved? Uh, I got involved... Um, I started with the company in their first summer. I was trying to do um, sales for them. So I was out with um, a couple of co-founders on a couple of different days trying to sell uh, kind of Canada-based businesses on the product. Okay. Um, and so that's how I started with the company. I was then fortunate enough to be asked to expand to our first expansion location uh, in Toronto. And I did that in my second year summer. And uh, we ended up doing great. Uh, it was a lot of hard work, definitely, but um, it definitely was worthwhile. And you used MW money to fund Clean Toronto, right? So, yeah. So that's basically the whole MW thing. Um, once we kind of were able to grow it into a state where we had enough free capital to be able to invest in other companies, we that kind of enabled us to um, have the startup money to be able to start Clean Toronto. Okay. Yeah. So you started off in sales and then we're working on the expansion but do you know much about like the legit start like we want to be very transparent to our people be like so clean detailing is a business we want to run what do we do first we buy equipment do we have a marketing plan like or do we just kind of learn as we go do you know anything about how that came to be um yes the i think first that, couple steps the first client even if you knew how you got your first client that'd be a good story to i share. think definitely the first client is better suited for sir Wiljan, the actual founder of the company sure um i can definitely speak to my own kind of first steps in toronto yeah um yeah, love yeah basically because what ended up happening was um sir kind of gave me all the necessary means but also gave me the necessary freedom to be able to go out and kind of run the run the toronto segment the way i wanted to run it mm-hmm. and i know that he he knew that that was very important for me. Um, and so I was able to – essentially what happened was um, I hired – did my hiring around in April. hired a lot of um, close friends um, from Queens to be the detailers um, and then kind of inspired – Are you happy you did that? Uh, yes. I'd say definitely yes. Honestly, I had amazing workers. Um, and basically what happened was 
we are sitting in Toronto, May 1st. We just had moved in. I took a couple of the detailers, three or four of them. I had or had actually moved to Toronto mm-hmm. to, to work clean. And uh, we're sitting there May 1st, and the bookings uh, hadn't rolled, hadn't started rolling in. And we're completely new to the market. We didn't know anything about Toronto, uh, didn't have any pre-existing sales. And we kind of just went there and said, okay, we're going to put our heads down, and we're going to start working. Mm-hmm. And so that's when that's when the hard work started. Um, I realized that after the first couple days of, like, kind of passing passive selling strategies, just, like, general door-to-door for a couple hours, that that wasn't nearly enough to be able to kind of right. garner success in the market. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, no, it, it was it was a whirlwind the first couple or first week especially, um, and that's when I kind of was able to motivate my employees to be able to kind of find different ways of selling. Okay, whether that be leveraging through personal connections, um, which we ended up doing a lot very successfully, as well as just straight cold calls. Right. Um, cold calling is something so necessary to any startup business really but is one of the well, especially a service business for sure but especially um it's especially one of the hardest things about it's a beast a it's a beast yeah. on its own man. It, yeah. it's it's so so tough and do you guys have any experience and I, 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 I do i do have some as well it's, it's tough uh, i remember from my first summer i briefly worked with college pro and part of it was um you had to go door to door and they, cause you had to originally hire a like, well, after you got your business up and running, you would do some cold, uh, cold calling, but you'd actually hire people to do the cold calling for you. But like just going through our training door to door, like it is not easy. You get a lot of no's and you have to have the, like the discipline and just like put your head down and keep going. And I'm sure you can all agree with that. I mean, for me, so this past summer I did a sales job selling um, football tickets for Queens. And I was calling local businesses. I had to make up my whole contact list. And it was kind of up to me on who I was going to go after, which was kind of cool. It was my own little project for the summer. And I remember I called this guy. I said, hey, sir, how's it going? Gave him my whole spiel. I was like, would uh, would buying tickets for you and your team at X company be something you might be interested in? He's like, I don't watch sports and hung up. I was absolutely gutted. <laughs> Didn't you say me neither? <laughs> it's all right, me neither. Yeah, I was like, cheers, thanks. <laughs> so yeah, cold oh, no. calling sucks, man. But I think what I learned, and you probably can agree, is like at first it sucks like getting no's, but at the same time, like you got you got to get over that and you have to approach every phone call with a smile on your face and you have to be as positive as you can to try and create that connection with someone. Like within whatever a minute, two minutes that conversation, however that com- however long that conversation is, definitely. Uh, I think like my experience with cold calling, like basically all it takes is one person to say, "Okay, come in and talk to me." Oh yeah, then you're fired up. Then you're fired up, oh, definitely. And the boys I, are buzzing at that point. Then, and, <laughs> put the phone down, like fucking go. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, man. I <laughs> clean in Toronto. It was super slow the first couple of weeks, and people were definitely getting a little bit on edge. They wanted the hours. They had moved to Toronto for the hours, yeah. and I'm sitting out here. I'm doing hundreds of cold calls a week, and finally, this one guy in Oakville, which is like very far from where we are. Yeah. But you know, we're taking what we can get out there. We don't care about the community. Like it's time, yeah. to, time to work. Because come in and talk to me. Okay, sure. Go in and talk to this guy at this random car shop. He's got, he just rolls himself out from under a car. Don't know what he's doing. He's greasy. As I start talking to him, he goes, you know what, kid? I, I like your panache. I said, thank you. I'm coming in hot, coming in enthusiastic and passionate. I know that there's, we could get a lot of deals with this booking. So I eventually close him on the deal and that he carried us about 
20 to 30 cars per week for what was his wow. what was his company uh, it's called Twin Oaks Auto shout out to Usman that's uh, that's my guy and, uh, <laughs> and no we still have a great relationship with him and we're hopefully as his company grows bigger so essentially what he does is he like buys cars at auctions and kind of like refurbishes them so okay. like we'll put like a new bumper on whatever and the last step to that is having the car detailed Okay. And so we can flip it. Oh, that's a cool. big contract. Right? Exactly. So as he grows bigger, hopefully he'll be um, more year-round because it's kind of a little bit more difficult in the winter for him, uh, as well as us considering we're uh, a seasonal business. Um, right. As he grows bigger, hopefully we'll continue to work with him. Okay. So you started with how many employees in Toronto? Uh, we started with uh, five or six detailers and then um, other people, a lot of friends who just were really wanting to help. And I put those people on uh, commission-based sales um, work at your own leisure. Yeah. I gave them the packages, um, kind of how to sell it, where to sell it, and uh, it's about $20 booking for those people, 15 20 If you were to do it again, would you have started with that many people? Uh, in terms of a startup, it really depends. I think one of the biggest challenges with a startup definitely is how to gauge your demand. You really mm, don't know yeah. how, how many people are going to like your product, and especially in a completely foreign market. It's often extremely difficult. So I definitely think that um, that that is one of the most challenging things to overcome. I don't know if you have any experience with that. Not myself. No experience with that, but I mean, a lot of people put a lot of time into the research and like before they launch a product or service, like, all right, damn, where am I going to sell this? Who am I selling to? And then they kind of get stuck in that phase. And I found from what I've read from our boy, Chris Gullivus, second shout out of the podcast, second episode, is that... You just got to do stuff. You learn the best by just putting your foot down, getting right to it, and you see what works and what doesn't right away. Um, my one question with the whole employee dynamic, these are all your friends. Regardless of your friends or not, what was it like being someone this young, starting up their own business, employing people? That's pretty nuts, man. Like, I can barely get a job myself out here. <laughs> and to think about employing other people is just wild to be. Man, uh, I would say... Employing people definitely, it could seem daunting for sure, but I think like the bond that we had in that clean Toronto summer, um, I think it got to a point where we all were really, really just working hard to work just towards the same goal. So I ended up giving the employees a lot more responsibility. So they were kind of working beside me rather than working for me. Mm. And I think like that was the main thing that enabled being able to like to work with your friends in general. I think like none of our friends are going to want to take direct orders from somebody not let alone your age but like do they even have qualifications in general like no yeah ex- exactly right so so i think like we ended up kind of like working for each other in a lot of in a lot of sense of it and and for that to even be a thing i definitely um there was challenges that come with that mm-hmm. as always but i think like everybody understanding that we're all working very hard to accomplish a specific goal is that's what we're looking for what was your biggest challenge that first summer you think Oh, bookings at the beginning were yeah. definitely, yeah, definitely. I think like uh, like hundreds of cold calls, um, so many hours of running flyers into high wealth neighborhoods of Toronto, um, just being a presence on the streets because I think like our highest conversion is when somebody stops you on the street. They're already interested. They already see the branding. Mm-hmm. They're wondering what's going on. So door to door will never have higher conversion than that. So I think just being a presence on the streets, like around times when people come home, you know, mm-hmm. you're out there, whether it be, you give like this guy a, a free rim detail just so you can have the extra 30 minutes of time where people can see you on the road. Yeah. Even if it's just that, that could exactly even doing just that, that's what four or $5 of supplies expense. If that, yeah. For potentially two, three other bookings. Mm. 
So just kind of different ideas. Think about the box. Think outside of the box in terms of low cost marketing strategies, especially for a startup, was important. Did you have any strategies that you thought were going to boom, but they ended up flopping? Um, I know you had some. You definitely had some. Yeah, though I think that I think that. Like, it's, were you on social media at all? Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think I I went through all of my friends um, on Facebook. Dumbed it down to the people who live in Toronto, the people who are in our actual target markets, like high wealth areas in Toronto, and then tried to push through the kids towards the parents. I thought that was probably my least uh, successful way to push it. Yeah. Why do you think that is? I think that, especially in high wealth neighborhoods in Toronto, I think that no matter how much a kid's going to tell their parents that, okay, my buddy has a good car detailing company, they probably already have a guy who's been trusted for... 15, 20 years, and that's impossible to break that. Were you guys more expensive, cheaper? So relatively, we're cheaper, which okay. could come with the connotation of lower quality, mm-hmm. even though that, like, that is 100% not the case. Like, when I'm telling you that this thing is 100% spotless, like, head under the seat, both, like, we're cranking it back and forth. Like, you'd eat your dinner off the seats you I'm, clean? Man, I'm telling you, I'd eat the dinner off the seat. I swear, <laughs> I'd lick the seats. So I'd lick the seats. <laughs> man, <laughs> I'm telling you, you won't find one little spot like this even. <laughs> Nothing like that. Now, yeah. rumor has it, in the midst of this grind, this huge startup thing you got going on, there's a bigger grind going in the living situation. Am I, oh, yeah. am I right in believing that you split one room with your buddy just to cut down on living expenses? <laughs> one room in Toronto. Yeah, so basically if, if my mattress – essentially what happened is my buddy Dan Porter, shout out Dan, um, who's the biggest grinder ever and, and loved it. And he would only come to Toronto based on, on like this condition that we had like low living expense. Right. I was down to split the room with him already. Didn't even need to ask. <laughs> we had been, we've been great friends for a while. And so what ended up happening is you have my mattress that's kind of like leaned up on the wall as the type of like Murphy bed almost. And then, and then when, and that, that allows the door to actually open. Right. And so if, if the, if the mattress is actually down, the door doesn't even open. Like you can't even fit a body through. <laughs> so so yeah that's what uh that's what, how we lived but uh honestly it was so worth it and the times that we had were so what memorable happened if, what happened if one of you tried to bring a girl home um yeah, just one would go sleep on the couch <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's just what happened honestly it was a it was a give and take kind of thing but it, it happened it happens sometimes but um, so I guess my next question would be why do you think you like the startup scene so much and what draws you to it I think the startup is it is it not working for someone else or do you just prefer working for yourself more? I think that especially younger in my life I really was excited by the fact that I could do relatively small amounts of work and potentially get a lot of money. Mm-hmm. As you get older definitely like you can you want to work even harder to get even more. Like that's the whole the mm-hmm. whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said that what are the what are the challenges? No, I just said, is it you don't like working for someone else oh, or you yeah. prefer working for... Just like, why do you like entrepreneurship? I think that I don't even mind working for someone else as long as the goals are... As long as we... I feel like I have a lot of autonomy in my work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that... So I, I don't mind working for someone else in general. But however, I honestly love working for myself because I can work at my own pace. Mm-hmm. I can listen to music while working. That's a really big thing for me. I think that like always having a beat on in the back definitely kind of like drives me and like kind of gets me in the mode. Um... And so, yeah, no, I honestly just think that working for myself is a lot more refreshing. I have a lot more freedom to do what I want. And I have had success doing it in the past, so I would definitely want to continue in the future. Mm-hmm. Well, are you going to continue in the future? I hope so, time? yeah. So I think that the plan for me probably is potentially go corporate for a couple years to be able to kind of save up money and then uh, and then create something. I think that 
like my biggest power in general is that I'm super passionate, super uh, positive. And if you put me in a completely foreign space, I just have the ability to be able to use words and create friendships that will create opportunities. And mm-hmm. I, I'm so that's like so a completely foreign place could that be Indonesia? That could I, be so. Oh, so I'm looking at an opportunity. What a lucky guess. What's yeah, going on here? So I'm looking at an opportunity to go work for uh, a startup, uh, like kind of venture capital fund in indonesia um so they are still in two or two or three years um very 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 new um a lot of those uh members from the company are extremely extremely smart and uh i think that i will possibly be taking the opportunity come july to to go over to indonesia so is this vc or what um it's they have it is vc but they like stagger their portfolio and such that they have 30 companies which they own uh, 15 are passive and then 50 are passively uh, managed so basically not a lot of stuff that the venture capital fund needs to do for them money. Um, exactly just a little bit of money and they're kind of like already a little bit more mature companies yeah. and then we actively manage about 15 uh, poor, uh, fifteen companies of which I'll be on I think two or three um, actively and uh, are those investments only in Indonesia um, so a lot of them are in Indonesia but Basically, what's happened is that Indonesia is actually one of the fastest growing uh, entrepreneurial spaces in the entire world. Oh, wow. um, yeah. And so they're definitely they're the fastest growing uh, Southeast Asia G20 company. Mm-hmm. Um, just in terms of GDP, they're at uh, 5% per year that for the past at least five and projected for the next five. That's crazy. Yeah, That's crazy. Um, exactly. So they're growing like wildfire over there. Um, what does that mean? Sorry? Like, explain that to... Oh, it's, it's just thing. it's just the entrepreneurial drive. It's the, the amount of companies that are, are com- becoming created and are actually very successful is, okay. is like, just almost... What they're trying to do is uh, replicate Canada in a lot of ways for okay. how, how great the entrepreneurial scene is here. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Um, and then what is next for you? You have something in the works coming later? Online? Um, yeah, no, I'd say down the line. Obviously, I'm always open to hear new business ideas and I feel like even just this podcast in general but even just saying that you're super interested in entrepreneurship other people just have ideas and they'll they'll message you and they'll just be like hey like they'll just bounce ideas off you right right and then you know what like we'll work together on this and I'm, I'm down to do any like small projects big projects with anyone so I mean like if you'll y'all are open to that just hit me up I'm always down to work with the wave I mean that that's where I'm at I think the big thing is that people know that you're willing to pull the trigger on an idea. Yeah. Like an idea. You're not just going to sit around and talk about it. Like you've actually proven that you are going and you're willing to do something on your own. And so people approach you with these ideas because you're going to hit the ground running as soon as you, as soon as you step it. in the room. So. And that's a total, that's a total mindset. That's a, that's a total me. And I know that people are definitely more risk averse than me and, and a lot of other things. But I mean, like I, I'm down to, to send it. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like especially like, why would I have my money like sitting in my bank account getting like 0.5% interest? Like it doesn't that just sense. doesn't make any sense to me. It's You're like, that money. just, I know it's yeah, like, I'd rather, I, lower than inflation. man, like yeah. I'd almost rather be losing money. I, like, <laughs> no, seriously, I feel like 0.5% is like almost insulting. So like, honestly, I don't want that. Let's actually like, try to get something big. And you know, if you lose a little bit of money along the way, like, no, and you live and you learn. You live and you yeah, learn. Tell hey, me, uh, like, you have fun while you're doing it. Like, tell, me, tell me you didn't have a great experience in the last oh, couple Oh, gosh, years, man. So. All, every entrepreneurial thing I've done ever has been the best experience. So many lessons learned. Even uh, Vegas Dave? No, we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> Vegas Dave? Yeah, let's talk about You said you like yeah, money here and there. Yeah, no, Vegas Dave is uh, Vegas Dave is sports betting, which I don't recommend doing. It's completely gambling with your money. Um, <laughs> 
but yeah, no, that that wouldn't be considered an entrepreneurial thing. But yeah. <laughs> now, what you're saying earlier though really resonates with me. Kind of last year, I realized my money sitting in the bank account. Like, I don't really buy stuff unless it's booze. That's pretty much it. But other than that, I'm not buying some consistently, and I'm like, it's sitting there growing at whatever interest rate, losing money over time with inflation. I was like, damn, I need to figure out how to make money with money. And that's kind of got me started on to learning about personal finance, starting my own thing. Like Toe said, like I'd rather just lose it trying something than lose it having sitting it there, like passively losing it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we talked about last week kind of finding your passion and trying a way to monetize it. So is there something that you're passionate about that you're trying to monetize right now? Uh, I think, I think I've always been super passionate about flipping things. Mm-hmm. Um, Very I could deep. see that turning into. So it's more the hustle that you love. Well, yeah, honestly, I think okay. the more it, it's it's so it'd be a lot different than a lot of entre- entrepreneurs that you have on the, this podcast for sure. Mm-hmm. But I think that for me, the end goal would possibly be getting into flipping real estate. Mm, okay which is definitely like different a lot different and i know that um shout out com 309 commercial yeah, real estate exactly baby. exactly no i'm super interested in that course no, that and, course is cool yeah it's very cool good live teacher too yeah. yeah yeah no shout out shout out andrew the <laughs> pop, actually. um no but yeah i think that that would be kind of the next big step for me and i think that obviously definitely a risky market as well but uh with a lot of research and just kind of time commitment it's possibly it could be very profitable what would be your area doing that um, I think that I could probably get uh, my real estate license relatively easily okay. and be able to do a lot of market research and then uh, potentially link up with somebody like Dan in architecture okay. um, out there killing it on top of his class, um, possibly could come through with like kind of like the four plans, kind of different things, all the ideas, like the practical know-how. Right. And then I could probably kind of invest with like a little bit more of the financial capital requirements to be able to do that going forward. Okay. With Dan as the architecture, like he's gonna make the houses for you. Well, like- Dan, Dan right now is is studying, uh, has a full architectural architectural degree, so essentially doing like four four plans for like any renovations. Um, yeah. Just, but also on top of that, just like a really smart technical know how guy. Yeah. Um, Similar to you, um, great with people. Yeah, creates really really strong relationships with people. So I think you two together would be really really powerful. Yeah, sure. yeah. So that's uh, that's like what I could think of like in terms of like entrepreneurship long term but I feel like back to what I said is like you put me in a random situation completely random people and uh, opportunities will just be created from that and that all comes with what main thing is having a positive attitude I think that's probably the best thing I could say is there someone that inspires you like maybe a family member or is there someone that you look up to oh, or yeah. something like that well, most definitely um bar none my dad um little story about my dad uh essentially what happened? So, um, from a small, uh, from from a young age, he's always working very hard. Um, my parents ended up getting separated, um, and so essentially, what we did, me and my sister, would go week on week off with each of my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't really realize what was happening because I was a little young. I was about like eight years old until I was like fourteen, fifteen years old, and I'm at uh, a Christmas party for the company that my dad had still worked for the, all that time. Um, and I'm at a Christmas party, and my, uh, his friend comes or his coworker comes up to me and goes do you realize how hard your dad works? And I go, like, yeah, sure. Like, he works pretty hard. He goes, that, mother, like, that son of a bitch is in the office. Man, I'm telling you, 16 hours a day, I, I don't even know if he leaves. And 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 so I'm just dumbfounded at that. So I go talk to my dad, and he's like, yeah, you know, like, every time you guys go over to your mom's, I'm, I'm working in the office right. 16, 17 hours. And so my dad essentially went from being an assistant produce manager 
for uh, for a grocery chain that had two stores to becoming uh, one of the members of the upper upper level management, and now they have about twenty stores. What wow. store is that? Uh, it's it's called Farm Boy, uh, a grocery chain. You should definitely Ooh. check check it out um, if you do have the time. They specialize in a lot of specialty brands, have a lot of vegan, organic, really good stuff, really good stuff that they produce in store. So you definitely should go check that out. So Pops was the inspiration. Most definitely. Taught me to never give up. Taught me to all I know about work ethic. Simple. There you go. No. like Does he know you're moving to Indonesia? <laughs> yeah, he knows. But uh, <laughs> it's okay. Also, that's like a three-month thing. It's not like a full-time position. But, uh, <laughs> but he knows. He said, don't do it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just uh, no, he just said don't do it, but uh, I told him, you know, sometimes, sometimes you gotta go. All right, I mean, well, that's great. That's good. Um, you guys have any other questions for for Melito today? I could talk to Big Toe for a while, but I just want to say thanks for coming in to New Wave Podcast, being the first guest, baby. Thank what a better like, sure. not a can have a better guest to start off the podcast here. For sure. Very inspirational story. Love the high energy. You're always going to get energy with Tiller. You're going to get that smile on the face. You're going to get a big <laughs> let's go and just fire up whatever you're doing for the night. So I love it. Best of, with, best of luck to you, Big Toe. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah, Elise. Just echoing Blue's point. Appreciate it a lot for coming out. Uh, obviously, you didn't have to do it, but you came out anyway. And uh, respect everything you said. Love to hear about your experience and what... And, uh, and what you have plans to report, and same thing. Best of luck. Appreciate everything, and now I'm amped up. Dude, let's go. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for having me. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, man. Big tell. And with that, a mo. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so starting this week, we just wanted to uh, wrap up our episodes with uh, taking our top three takeaways from the episode. So uh, first takeaway, we want to talk that Melito did a really good job at knowing his strengths. So as you can hear in the podcast, he had a really contagious, positive energy. And you can tell like the room kind of just gets lit up when he's in there. So by putting himself in situations where he can use his positive energy to either lead a team and his employees or try to get a sale, it's really uh, advantageous to him. Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, I've known Adam since I was really, really young, but whenever he's around someone, you can just tell that he brings out kind of that really big smile on everyone's face. He's always funny. He's always really personable. So I think his biggest asset is his ability to do that. And he really takes advantage of that, especially um, when he was working for clean, he did that um, with his employees, with, the clients that he was trying to get when he was calling people. So that was really awesome to, to see that without him. Um, the second one was relationship building. That's kind of um, adding on to him knowing his strengths. Um, I guess I fucked it. Eh? Oh, no, it's all good. Well, with relationship building, honestly, this can go beyond businesses. This can go in every sense of life. The network you have around you is super important in everything you do. So you got to make sure you're developing good relationships out there. And that's one thing Adam Lido knew was very important in his business. He had a brand. He had to represent that brand always in the most positive light. So when he made these relationships, he made sure they were very strong. And uh, he, uh, Harry told me something interesting that Adam would do in terms of accepting phone calls. What, what was his rule? Like Adam was super personal guy, loves talking to people. What was his number one rule at Clean? Uh, I remember when I visited him in Toronto one weekend, he's like, He's like, Harry, I will never not pick up the phone. He's like, it doesn't matter what time it is. If someone's calling me and I've, 
the opportunity to make money, I'm going to answer the phone. So we went out one night, had a couple drinks. Just a couple. Just a couple. Um, woke up the next day, absolutely hung as hell. I couldn't even move. My head was pounding. And Adam's phone goes off beside his face. I don't even think his eyes were open. He picks up the phone. He goes, clean detailing. This is Adam. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? He was always ready to ready to answer the phone. And he was willing to do anything to make the hustle work. And behind that, that's just passion at the end of the day. Adam knows what he wants and he got after it. And that's something that can inspire all of us. Mm-hmm. And then um, I think Adam, one takeaway, another one that I um, thought was interesting with from this conversation was that he's willing to pull the trigger and people around him know that he's willing to take action on different entrepreneurial endeavors and so people are always approaching him like he said people are messaging him and they're bouncing ideas off each other um so just having the ability to actually take action which we've talked about multiple times last week and and now this week so yeah this podcast came together just because we said this is the date this is the time be there we're recording boom right there now we're on episode two baby let's go just like that stay tuned for episode three